And Father, we, we know we need your, your guidance in that. And so we, we come to your word on a regular basis. We come to your word each day for that guidance. Um, but we gather together as your people once a week uh, to hear you speak to us as a whole. So we would be led by you, so we'd be guided by you, so we'd receive hope and peace and correction from you. And so we pray, Father, that you would do that this morning as we come to your word, that, that you would speak into each one of our lives, wherever we're at, whatever anxiety we're feeling, whatever burden we're feeling, whatever weight we're carrying, whatever frustration we're feeling. Father, may you speak into that and, and give us guidance as we seek to learn how to follow you in this world. And so, Father, we pray that all of those things that are kind of swirling around in our hearts and swirling around in our minds, uh, that they would uh, be pushed to the side for a moment so that we could hear you speak clearly, Lord. Um, we want to hear you speak, and so we pray that you would do that now as we come to your word. And so we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, in our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're moving on to the next passage in the Gospel of John, and we're going to hear a little bit more about John the Baptist. He's kind of been hinted at a few times so far, uh, but now we're, we're kind of zooming in on him a little bit more. So we're looking at verses 19 through 28. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. As I've already kind of mentioned, you know, one of the main themes, one of, the, there's, all the, there's many different themes through the Gospel of John, but one of those themes is this theme of witnessing. We see picture after picture of witnesses and what it looks like to witness, and uh, we're going to see that, we're going to talk about that a lot. And, and one of the things that I think comes up in this passage, and we'll see it in other passages as well, is that there are, there are dangers of being a witness in the world. And we've already seen this, this passage at the beginning. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or 
Um, also could be translated understood it. And so we already right at the beginning kind of had this tone set that as the light's going to go out and shine in the darkness, there's going to be, there's going to be misunderstanding as Jesus' light shines in, but then as Jesus' light shines through us out into the world, there's going to be misunderstanding. And, and really deeply connected with misunderstanding is also this idea of uh, mistreatment, which we're also going to see in Jesus' life. And you know, I've been thinking about that. Um, just, you know, in the last few months, I've been, I've been doing some, some witnessing to people and not actually even in this community, but just been talking to them over the phone and stuff out kind of throughout the, the, I don't know, the nation sounds really big, but, <laughs> you know, out there, not, not people here, I've been talking to them and witnessing to them and, and, and it's been really hard because as I've been talking to them, it seems like they have just constantly misunderstood me. And, and it doesn't matter how I say it or, or what I say, they just don't understand what, what I'm saying. And there's been times where I've been, I've been so frustrated because I feel, like, I feel like you're working harder to misunderstand me than you are to try to understand me. Um, but then what has kind of flown from that, that misunderstanding has been, because they, they misunderstand me, then there's been like false accusation that I said things that I didn't say, right? Or I've done things or whatever. So, and I'm not saying all of this trying to justify myself in front of you. What I'm trying to say is there's this connection between misunderstanding and mistreatment, right? When, when there's misunderstanding, then people start to accuse you of saying and doing things that, that you haven't done. And that's one of the dangers of, of being a witness in the world. It's a danger we see over and over throughout Scripture. When there's this misunderstanding, then, then mistreatment comes with it. But there's another danger of being a witness um, that we don't talk about very often. Um, and I think it's actually probably more dangerous than being misunderstood and mistreated. Uh, and we don't talk about it much, and we don't actually always think of it as a danger because it's something we all kind of like. Um, and that danger is uh, not being misunderstood or mistreated, but it's being exalted and put on a pedestal. Um, the, the danger is that as we try to witness, people will say, you're the best of the best. And then why that, when that becomes really dangerous is when enough people say that about you, you start to think, I am the best of the best. And then you lose your witness. And, and, and it's a real danger. I've been, I've been watching this, this happen um, over, over the years. Uh, I'm sure you've all noticed it with me that in the last 10 years, we've watched kind of well-known pastor after well-known pastor after well-known pastor fall, right? And just this past week, uh, another well-known pastor um, was just removed from his church for, for making some poor decisions. And so, as someone who's a pastor, not well-known, but a pastor, I've, I'm looking at these different cases and going, if this guy can fall, what happened? What was going on in that? And I've studied them because, you know, I don't want to make the same mistake. And, and what I've noticed every single time is the proverb that pride goes before the fall. 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And, and it's easy to happen, not just in the life of a pastor, but it's easy to happen in our own lives as well. As we go out into the world, that people would begin to put us on a pedestal and think, you are so good. I mean, look at how amazing you are. And we start to think, I am. <laughs> and pride goes before the fall. And the moment that pride happens, that's actually when we lose lose our witness. I, you know, I, over the years I've noticed people being worried about being caught up in a failure. I mean, obviously in a failure there's a loss of witness depending on how we handle that. But actually I'm trying to say that the loss of witness happened long before the failure. The loss of witness happened as soon as pride began to overtake someone because they stopped pointing away from themselves to Christ and they started pointing to themselves and saying, um, Look at me. Um, look who I am. And, and this could have been a real temptation for, for John the Baptist because he was really becoming famous. I mean, people were flocking to John the Baptist to, to hear what he had to say, to see, see what he, he was doing. I mean, he was causing a ruckus throughout Israel. I mean, enough of a ruckus that, that the Jewish leaders thought we have to figure out who this guy is. And so most likely it was like the Sanhedrin, kind of the top leaders, and they sent a delegation of people to John the Baptist to figure out who he was and, and what he was doing. And, and we see it says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem and they asked, who are you? And then later they asked, why are you baptizing? And so they're, they're asking these two questions. Who are you and, and what are you doing? And what we're going to figure out is John doesn't like either of those questions. Um, he kind of insinuates that they're asking the wrong questions. And eventually he says, well, I'm going to give you the answer to the question that you should have been asking all along. And so they start off by saying, well, who are you? Like, who do you, th who do you think you are? All these people are coming to you. Who are you? And it's kind of worded weirdly. It says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And I, I've looked at that passage so many times and I'm like, why, what are they trying to say in that? And then uh, I felt some level of comfort as this morning I was listening to R.C. Sproul preach on the same passage. And he's like, you think that's confusing? You get to the Greek, that's even more confusing. Nobody knows how to translate this passage. <laughs> but the point that they're trying to make, and it's why it's so confusing, is John spoke clearly and without any ambiguity. I am not the Christ. Which, which assumes that they were asking him, are you the Messiah? Which makes sense. There was all of this expectation kind of brewing at that time. Everybody was kind of on the lookout for Messiahs. There had been people who had already claimed to be the Messiah. So everybody was kind of on the lookout. And so when the Jewish leaders see everybody flocking to John, they're kind of wondering, is he the guy? Does he think he's the guy? What's going on? And John says, Absolutely not. Don't even think about it. I'm not the Messiah. And so they keep, they go, okay, if you're not the Messiah, then are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you the prophet? 
No. You know, they're recognizing something's different about John. And so you might wonder, why are they asking about Elijah? Why are they asking about the prophet? These were, these were all people that they were expecting to kind of come before the Messiah. These were precursors who were going to come and kind of lead the way to the Messiah. And so they're like, this guy, he's not the Messiah, but, but everybody's flocking to him. Maybe then, if he's not the Messiah, maybe he's Elijah. And John says, nope. What about the prophet, like the one that was promised to Moses? John says, not him either. And so they go on and they say, well, okay, who are you? We need to give an answer to the people who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And I love his answer. He says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. And what we, we don't always notice in this response of John is he's, he's doing two things here. Um, on, the, on the one hand, he is explaining who he is and what his role is. Um, but on the other hand, he's also kind of taking a shot at the leaders. Because the leaders are saying, who are you? And he said, well, I'm in the wilderness. And actually, this passage that John's quoting from Isaiah is talking about this period of the exile when God's people had been kicked out of his presence. And John's saying, uh, that's where we're at now. We may be in the promised land right now, but God's people are so far from him um, that it's like a wilderness here. It's a spiritual wilderness in the promised land. It's a spiritual exile here in the promised land. And he's kind of hinting, and this happened under your watch as the leaders. You're the leaders of these people. You're the religious leaders of these people. And I'm being sent to preach in this wilderness, in this exile, uh, because you failed. Um, and then he describes his task further, and he says, but guess what? I'm in this wilderness. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking into this exile, but my job is not to lead the people out my job is just to make straight the way of the Lord. Or as other passages will say, prepare the way of the Lord. And so John's saying, this actually, none of this is actually about me. I'm not the one coming in to lead them out of the wilderness. I'm not the one coming in to lead them out of exile. My job is just to prepare. And so before we kind of move on the passage, I want you to kind of get the beginning. There's like two different interactions here. And the big picture is that they come to John and they say, who are you, John? And his answer is, kind of, wrong question. Stop asking about me. It's not about me. And so they move on to the next question. And there's, there's some Pharisees in the group that was sent to interrogate him. And so the Pharisees ask a question that you'd probably expect Pharisees to ask. Okay, why are you baptizing then? If you're not Christ or Elijah or the prophet... Like, what authority do you have to be doing these things, right? The Pharisees are all worried about the rules and the law, like doing everything according to the little, you know, every little detail. And so they're like, we don't care about who you are, John. We just want to know why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why are you baptizing? You don't have authority to be doing this if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet. Um, but there's, there's even more going on in this interaction again. And I think... 
It took me a while. It was kind of a light bulb moment I had a number of years ago uh, when I was studying this passage, when I realized that we've all kind of grown up in the church. We've become so accustomed to these stories that we don't ask some pretty basic questions. And I had done this for, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, And I never asked the question like, why is John the Baptist baptizing? <laughs> like, you read through the Old Testament, can, can any of us think of off the top of our head an instance of somebody being baptized in the Old Testament? It's like not a major part of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden John comes on and he starts baptizing people and we're like, oh, that makes sense. And instead of going, wait a second, why is he doing that? Why is he called John the Baptist? This hasn't really been a major part of history. And and the answer to that question actually shows why they were so offended by what John was doing. Um, Because baptism is present in the Old Testament. It's not just coming onto the scene. Um, But but there were different reasons why people were baptized. It was like ritual cleansing for priests and Levites. But, But really the only time that a normal person, like a non-religious leader, was baptized was when a non-Jew wanted to become a Jew. That was the only time it ever happened um, for, a, for a normal person. So this was not something like normal, regular Jews were not baptized. Um, if someone was not a Jew and wanted to join the Jewish people, they were seen as unclean, and so they needed to be baptized and cleansed in order to be part of the Jewish people. Um, But now you can kind of see why what John was doing was pretty offensive. Because he was baptizing Jews. And only Jews. And when he's baptizing Jews, he's kind of saying, you've fallen so far away from God. You're so far out into the wilderness. You're so far out into exile that you need to be cleansed in order to be truly part of God's people again. And he's saying... That happened under your guys' watch, too, as the religious leaders. I mean, that's, that's offensive. And so that's why John was baptizing. If you, if you want to be truly part of God's people again, you need to be cleansed and redeemed and, and restored it to be part of God's people. And, uh, and that's why the leaders are not real happy with John. I mean, these, these questions aren't just them kind of curious It's more of a, like, who do you think you are? You're baptizing Jews. We are God's people. (laughs) Who do you think you are to say that we need to be cleansed and baptized? What right do you have to be doing this? And John says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And you read that and you go, he's not answering their question, is he? (laughs) Like, who do you think you are? What right do you have? John could have said, I've been sent by God. I have the authority and right to do this. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He says, wrong question. (laughs) Sure, sure I baptize with water, but you're missing the point. You guys are so worried about who I am and what I'm doing that you're not seeing the one I'm pointing to. He's standing right in your midst. You don't even know him because you're so focused on me and what I'm doing. 
And he says, this guy, this guy, you think, you think people are flocking to me? This guy's so great, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And yet you can't even see him. You can't even know him because you're so focused on me and what I'm doing. Stop looking at me. Start looking at the one I'm pointing to. And really, I think what John's doing here is he's not only saying that, but he's saying, you remember a little bit ago I said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Do you know what question you should have asked there? Show us the Lord. How, how, do I, how, am I, how am I to be prepared for the Lord? Not, then why are you baptizing? So the question you should have been asking is, where's the Lord and how can I be prepared for him? That's the question. And that's what it means to be a witness, isn't it? That's, uh, that's what this whole interaction is actually about. It, the whole story begins by, this is the testimony of John. And it could be, and I would say maybe should be, besides it would be confusing. This is the witness of John. This is the way John was a witness in the world when the religious leaders were questioning him and asking him these questions. This is what he did. He said he kept pointing away from himself and pointing people to Jesus Christ. They wanted to focus on him and and what he was doing. They were wondering whether they should exalt him and say, look at him, he's a precursor to the the Messiah. Maybe we should lift him up and exalt him. Maybe he's the Messiah. And John said, no, 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 no. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Don't look at me. Look look at Jesus. They wanted to get him in trouble. There was all this misunderstanding, right, around him. And he said, stop, stop looking at me. Look at the one I'm pointing to. That's what it means to be a witness. And, you know, and that's true of us. As we go out from here and we go out into the world, we go out to our families and our workplaces, and we're called to be witnesses, often we're going to be misunderstood like John was, right? John, like, no, you're not understanding what I'm trying to say. How are we going to respond as witnesses in those moments? We're going to be like John. We're going to do what we can to try to clarify what we've been saying but ultimately, we're going to say, stop, stop looking at me. <laughs> look to the one I'm pointing you to. Look at Jesus Christ. Or, or we're going to go out like a witness in the world. We're going to be mistreated and misrepresented, slandered, whatever. How do we respond? Are we going to respond by retaliating? By, by you know, misrepresenting and mistreating people? No, of course not. We respond like a witness. We say, it's, it's not, actually not about me. Like, say what you want about me. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Or the other danger that, that really happens quite often when we go out into the world as witnesses is that people will see us and be like, there's the person. They're going to fix all my problems. They're, they're the ones who are going to, this person's got it together. They're going to they're gonna fix my problems. They're going to meet all of my needs and all of my desires. They're, we're gonna, they're going to look to you to do that. And our temptation is to respond by saying, I'll do that. Because we like that. We like feeling needed and wanted, like we're the ones doing that. And yet, we have to fight that temptation like John did and say, actually, I'm nothing. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal of the one I'm trying to point you to. You need to look past me. Look at Jesus Christ. Um, I can't meet your deepest desires, but he can. So don't, don't look at me. I can't, I can't fix all of your problems, but 
He can. Look, look to him. Or as we read earlier, I am not the light, but I'm just a witness pointing you to the light, pointing you to the one who can actually meet your needs. That's a hard thing. That's a, that's a deep temptation in all of us to be kind of lifted up and put on a pedestal, and yet pride comes before the fall. And part of our witness, as, as we're pointing people away from ourselves and we're pointing people to Jesus Christ, part of that witness is to be this, this voice of one crying out in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord. That's what John's witness was. He said, don't look at me, look at Christ. And, and when I'm doing that, I'm helping to make straight the way of the Lord. I'm helping to, the, the passage in Isaiah is talking about like all of this hilly, windy roads going through, through Israel. And it says, no, we're going to fill all the valleys. We're going to cut down all the mountains. We're going to make a straight, flat road to the Lord. You know, not like Wisconsin, where there's not a straight road anywhere in the entire state. Like more like Iowa, where it's like a grid, like straight paths everywhere you go. He says, we're gonna, we're, I'm here to do that, to help people find a straight path to the Lord. And how he did that, how to lead, how he helped prepare a way out of exile to God, out of the wilderness to God, was by calling people to repent and to believe. And that's, like if you, as you read through the New Testament, you see that that was John's repeated message, but you're going to see that as we start reading more about Jesus, what did Jesus say all the time? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. What did Peter say on Pentecost? People cried out, what do we need to do to be saved? And he said, repent. He said, repent and be baptized. But part of that means repent, believe, be baptized. And so this this message of preparing the way of the Lord, this message of witnesses in the world is calling people to repent and believe. And it's, it's, it's part of the same thing, right? Repent means turn away from something, right? You're, you're heading this way, you're heading this lifestyle, this way into sin. To repent means turn away. But when you turn away from something, you have to turn toward something. That's the believe part, right? It's all one action. You, you're heading down this path of sin, you repent and then you believe, you turn around, and you grab hold of Jesus Christ by faith. That's the message of witnesses. Repent, believe, turn from your sin, believe in Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things I, I try to remind myself of, try to remind our congregation is, and that's not just a message that is to be on our lips. It's a message that needs to be in our own lives. Um, that, that is the life of a Christian. A life that is a constant pattern of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. We're constantly seeing a sin in our life, turning from that sin, grabbing hold of Jesus by faith, saying, forgive me, help me, give me strength, pull me out of this pit that I'm in. And we need to do that over and over and over and over again. That's what the Christian life is. And so that message of repentance and faith needs to be on our own hearts um, if we're going to be an effective witness in the world. Otherwise, we'll be the Pharisees, who Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're calling people to repentance and faith, but you're not living it. But one of the beautiful things that, that happens is, is as we start to live these lives of, of repentance and faith, trusting in Jesus to, to forgive our sins, trusting in Jesus to kind of pull us out of our sin and, and, and help us walk in newness of life, 
we have an understanding of what that looks like. It's not just some theoretical thing that we've read in the Bible. We've, we've experienced it. We've done it. We've turned from sin and we've grabbed hold of Jesus by faith. We know what that looks like. And so then when we go to somebody else's life, we can say, here's what I did. Here's, here's what Jesus did in me. He, he helped me turn from my sin and grab hold of him in faith. And it actually helps us to become better witnesses because we're actually living it out. We've, we've seen what Christ can do. We've heard what he said and we've lived that out. And we can begin to then tell people how we've seen him do that in our life and how he can do that in their life. And when we do that, we're witnessing. And what's even more profound, I think, is when we do that, when we live a life of faith and repentance and we help other people see how they can live a life of faith and repentance, we're not just witnessing. What we're doing is what John did. We're preparing the way for the Lord in our own hearts. But we're preparing the way for the Lord in the hearts of those people around us. It's a, it's a powerful image and uh, so we're called to do. Let's, let's come to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, again, thankful for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thankful for the understanding that you have prepared your way in our hearts. We didn't do it on our own, but the work, your work and the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives has opened our hearts and drawn us to yourself. We give you thanks for that grace, for that mercy. And Father, we, we confess that we often try to just kind of live by our own strength and wisdom in the world. We try to live for our own glory in the world. We live wanting people to say, look at you, look at you. We revel in that, and yet, Father, we confess that we haven't been good witnesses in that way, that we haven't lived for your glory. And so we ask that you would forgive us in that. We pray that you would forgive us for our pride. But we, we ask for more than forgiveness. We ask that your spirit would move in our hearts. Not only to forgive us, but to empower us to look to you. Empower us to overcome the temptation, to, to live for our own glory. Empower us to live lives that are characterized by repentance and faith. and Empower us to speak into lives of other people that they would repent and believe. And that through all of this, your name would be lifted up and your name would be glorified and your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as is in heaven. So, Father, we pray that you would give us strength to do those things. We pray that you'd forgive us when we fail we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.